This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Something a bit different on the podcast today. It's in the spirit of high mountains and the autumn season, which is often the time many seek any iteration of mountain film. You know, solid storytelling and vibrant images to help us dream just a bit bigger. So these sounds are a bit of what we're going to hear about in the podcast. Some of you may have already watched Lotse, a film featuring ski mountaineers Hilary Nelson and Jim Morrison as they complete a first descent down the steep and scratchy Lotse Couloir in the Nepal Himalaya. It's a film that will be featured at the upcoming BAMP Virtual Mountain Film Festival. Let's just say the film has it all. A good tale to tell, lovely mountain backdrops, the thinnest of air, and two athletes in Nelson and Morrison living in the moment. With all this in mind, I followed my curiosity. I wanted to know more about who captured the footage and crafted the film. That led me to filmmakers Dutch Simpson and Nick Kalis. Both are spirited creatives who also happen to be mountain savvy. We spoke to Simpson and Kalis to learn about their experiences on the project and how they captured a now storied ski descent. We should note the scale of the climbing and ski expedition, which went down in September 2018, was by all measures minimalist. The typical climbing season on Everest, which is close to the summit of Lhotse, is in April and May. By September, these mountains are ghost towns by comparison. Okay, on to the interview. Let's do some brief intros here. I'm going to start with Dutch. So can you introduce yourself? Uh, what do you do and where are you right now? My name is Dutch Simpson. Uh, I'm a filmmaker based in Jackson, Wyoming. And what do you specialize in? We specialize in kind of the outdoor industry, adventure films. My perspective of, of looking at it is from a story aspect. So trying to find stories like um, adventure Filmmaking is really beautiful and like technology has pushed it so far, but it doesn't really mean anything if you don't have a story. So that's where I'm trying to focus my attention. Okay. And Nick, uh, what's your background and where are you? So I'm based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Background is went to film school and then fell in love with the mountains and ended up never leaving. So I'm the same with Dutch. You know, it's like, creating a visual story that um just people can relate to on all different levels um which isn't that easy all the time but yeah i think there's a lot to be said about you know you have we can make all make great visuals and shoot in the most beautiful light ever but it doesn't do that much if there's not a a story behind it Back to the process of like storytelling and also the technology piece one thing that like really stands out with me. And I, I, I don't know the rough timeline here, but let's say it was like maybe seven years ago. And, you know, I'm at the, the local world tour of Banff 
film here in, in Bend. And they were making a very big deal at the time of like the red 4K camera. And I remember it was a mountain biking film and it was filmed probably, you know, in like Vancouver Island or something, some like very technical terrain, super lush. So the greens were just like a complete, you know, it was very verdant, you know, I mean, the greens were popping out, but it simply was just like this mountain biker cruising down and great shots. Like you said, lovely light, but no story. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, they have this amazing technology and everyone's going gaga over it. But give me like the traditional film, no high res, but great story. And I may have been an outlier at the time, but I'm kind of curious, you know, as young folks, how have you navigated that, you know, having this incredible tool and now it's 8K, I assume it's 8K. Um, and, you know, being able to take all these glamorous shots, but at the same time being mindful of like, you're a storyteller. I mean, I think that's like the filmmaker dilemma, at least in the outdoor world of, I really want to make this look pretty and beautiful and add like dynamic movement to shots. But it's like, you could also shoot a really compelling story with an iPhone and maybe have more impact with that. So I think like we try to focus on both, like let's, let's try to capture as beautiful images and, and try to really think through great ways to capture this scene. But let's also focus on how, how is this scene going to help advance the film? Like what are the story beats and how is it getting us to the next, the next process or the next part of the story? Yeah. And I think to kind of look at Lotse with that question is like, I feel pretty strongly if we had taken red cameras on that trip, we would have captured a fraction of what we could have with the Sony cameras and the smaller cameras with batteries that you can charge easier on solar. And that was just the right tool for, for that trip. But it's definitely hard. You know, everyone has, you want the best quality and resolution, but if you can't actually capture the story, then in a true sense without, you know, having to wait two minutes for the camera to turn on. And then, you know, that puts, people at risk high in the mountains if you have to wait for that long. So it changes with every project. Okay. Yeah. And it's funny because I had written down gear down, <laughs> you know, it's one of my just sort of talking points. If you can talk a little bit about, you know, what did you shoot with say around base camp and how that may have changed as you guys went higher up on the mountain, or maybe you guys can sort of paint the environmental context of where you were and what you were doing. You know, Lotse was, we didn't really have a choice with cameras uh, in terms of like red or something else. You know, we trekked into base camp, which was like five or six days. And so we needed camera gear that was lightweight and, you know, power and media consumption is a big factor. So we needed cameras that were lightweight, had good battery life, and we could charge on solar and also offload media. So we use the Sony A7R3s. Uh, which is like a small mirrorless Sony camera. And I think there was times where like, man, I really wish we had a red, but uh, it, it definitely got the job done. But Nick, what do you think about the like tech stuff with the Sonys and I guess like base camp first hire? Yeah, you know, we brought a bunch of different tools. You know, we had the Sony cameras and then each of us, I think, had four lenses about. And then we had this little handheld gimbal that we kind of like had as many toys as possible at base camp. And then kind of each camp, 
we ended up leaving different aspects that like you know we just couldn't carry the extra weight because that just forced that the more that extra lens takes away a lot of energy when you're getting up higher into the mountains so base camp you know we had all the toys we could use the the gimbals and the macro lenses and then kind of as we started going up it was like you know well let's leave the macro lens and just have the wide and a longer lens which can be painful but we also had to get as many shots as possible right because i mean i think there was almost ten thousand vertical feet from base camp to the summit something like that right nick and so like you just you just are like shedding gear the higher you get basically and you're like kind of losing some creative options but at a certain point you're just like surviving and capturing (laughs) this is a lovely film to sort of like dream and dream big and and it provides all those attributes you know it's a great story the visuals are amazing so that said though you know watching it i think we often associate everest and and loti which is right next door as kind of a cluster we're talking huge parties hundreds if not looks like you know on occasion there's like a thousand people down on base camp and people paying big money to tag the summit. And we don't need to get into all that, but this struck me as like, this is a fairly modernistic um, way to go about doing things. It's off season. It seemed relatively light and fast. You guys were, it seemed to me again, and I'll have you kind of talk about this, but the Sherpa team uh, was fixing the ice fall, you know, for you guys. And, and it just seemed like a smaller, tighter, uh, kind of climbing group is that actually what it was yeah i I mean i have no experience with everest in season but it felt like what we did was like it it felt more of a pure mountain experience in in the sense of like we were all self-contained so we you know we did have the sherpa who were insane and they set the route through the icefall and, and continuing up to the summit but, you know, so we had a team of five Sherpa, and then it was the four of us, Jim, Hillary, Nick, and I. And so it felt like we were actually climbing and we were like self-sufficient. And it was like up to the team to make it instead of when Everest is in season. I mean, you have like a highway. You have people every day that are updating the route and, you know, hundreds of people going through it. And kind of everything we were going through fresh and we were setting things up as we went. So, I, you know, it is cheating with the Sherpa because they're just so powerful and fast and there's no way we could have done it without them. But I think having that like tight crew, it felt like a more purest environment, I'd say. I don't know, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I think having, you know, the infrastructure of thousands of people at base camp and way more Sherpa, there's a lot less stress, I think, because people are a lot more people are hiking through the ice falling up to camp two. It was really special because we were working really close with our Sherpa team. And I don't know if that's always the case. I think a lot of time there's a little bit more of a disconnect where it's like, you know, the Sherpa go off and do their thing and then it's ready for the other climbers to go. And with ours, it was kind of like day-to-day planning to make sure everything was going smooth and would, was going to be on time. Super special. Yeah, I have to say, like, um, you know, there's obviously been and recently and I won't go into all the politics and calling anyone out, but there's been some sort of tension behind 
you know, there's been some high profile Everest films, K2 films, where the, you know, where the Sherpa haven't gotten due credit. And I have to say, like, one of the most profound pieces of the film for me is like that, you know, the last closing minute when each Sherpa is profiled and they, in their own humble way, disclose you know, how many times they've summited certain or specific 8,000 meter peaks. I'm just curious, like, was that just something you guys were like, we're including that? Or I'm just curious, you know, that last part of the film, how did that make it in and who decided that? Because it was a great move. I think like the beginning of the trip, we kind of, we were all just getting to know each other. And, you know, Jim Morrison He's like, all right, so this is Dutch and Nick. They have zero Himalayan. Well, Nick had been to uh, Nepal one, one time before in the high. But basically, Jim was like, these guys know nothing. Uh, they haven't summited anything, so just keep an eye. And then they, we went around the, the, the group of Sherpa, and they just kind of rattled off all of their summits. And that was like day one of meeting mm-hmm. the whole crew. And we're like, okay, these guys are special and insane, and we got to figure out how to – include them in the film so i you know that's how i think that moment was born with with capturing their summits but we were definitely like how do we get them in more (laughs) yeah yeah we wanted to have them in the film more and we saw the excitement like we would be kind of hiking behind them and they would be running down like grabbing more stuff and we saw their excitement we were like this has to we wanted to put more of them in the film but in 23 minutes it's you know stuff has to get cut and that was just uh, some of the most powerful moments we thought to put at the end so well it resonates so it, it it's quite wow i love it um well how did that feel i mean it's interesting i think of and i know contextually you know an eight thousand meter peak is much different than you know a, a burly ski descent in the tetons but that said you know those mountain ranges are no joke um <laughs> But how did that, what was that like being kind of the newbie all of a sudden? Uh, you know, you're there for a job, but you're like, holy smokes. I mean, you know, there's altitude, there's massive ice falls. It, it's a different context. Um, you know, what was that like for you guys kind of being thrown right into it? I mean, we found out about the trip 10 days before we left, which was like, a uh, okay, we're doing this. And so I, I think like, Honestly, just not exactly knowing <laughs> the nuances of the route helped a little going in a little bit blind, like helped. We didn't have months of preparation to like freak out about the the trip. We just took it like one day at a time. And also Jim and Hillary were pretty experienced and like Jim's kind of cowboy and cavalier about everything. He's like, oh, you'll be fine. Just like make sure you just keep moving. So <laughs> it was just a special like conditions were good we didn't really know like what to expect. And I think we, the Jim and Hillary were just such good leaders that we're like, okay, we're safe. Like we're fine. Let's just keep moving. (laughs) Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly it. We didn't have too much time to think about it. And we had the best two mentors that Jim and Hillary to like, you know, communicate every morning with how we're all feeling and, you know, what we're doing. And it just made it a lot less stressful for me, especially to know that, you know, we were working with them and to get up this mountain. So before I get into some more details, I'm curious, like as the filmmakers, for someone who has not 
watch the film, but it may be enticed to see it. What would you describe as the main story? Big, big open one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think on the surface, it's about two skiers who set out to ski one of the most beautiful high altitude ski lines in the world. But I think diving a little bit deeper it's a story about humanizing Jim and Hillary, who have are very accomplished uh, high altitude ski mountaineers, and sometimes are like put up on this pedestal of like, uh, you know, it, it's tough to like say to a pro athlete in like the NFL or something, but just like humanizing their experience. Hillary's mom, Jim's experienced some pretty uh, traumatic losses in his life, and you know, through the mountains, that's how they found to like cope and work through their life. That just happens. They chose to climb 8,000 meter peaks instead of going and skiing in the Tetons. So Hillary is the mom of two, two young children. Jim lost, you know, his children and his former wife in a, a tragic plane accident, you know, and, and you're watching these two who are obviously professional athletes, but I, I imagine that you're forming bonds. Do you think when you're behind the lens and you're filming a critical moment, are you absolutely caught up in the moment or are you thinking, oh my gosh, what if I don't want to be that person who, who's you know capturing a horrible accident on film? And I bring that up, as I mentioned in our kind of warm up conversation, um, that was a huge part of Free Solo. And, you know, they included a ton of footage and a ton of dialogue between Jimmy Chin and his support crew, you know, about how anxious they were about the possibility of watching one of their friends, you know, take a slip on El Cap. So I'm just curious, like, what were your thought process during this climb as it relates to being stressful about their own safety? Yeah, there's like (laughs) one scene where, well, we weren't able to document uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make the film. And essentially, we were advancing from base camp up to camp two, and we get caught in a whiteout. And avalanches start coming down. We're on our own. The Sherpa had turned around, and you know, Jim and Hillary are like, "We we think we know where we are. Let's just sit it out. We're we're totally fine. Like it's going to clear up, and we'll make it to camp two. And I was so scared the entire time. I didn't film a single clip. Because we were just like, uh, like you could hear these avalanches rumbling down and we're just like sitting ducks. And I think that was like one of the main points where (laughs) personal safety and just like uh, that was, uh, yeah, like I didn't, I don't have any footage from that like six hour span. You know, we set up a small tent and Jim was trying to distract us and we were playing cards and he's just like, yeah, oh, another avalanche, like trying to. I think he was scared, but he was just trying to like not show it and keep our hopes high. But, you know, I, I guess like zooming back out, I think there's a lot of things that we did capture, but there's a lot of stuff that happened on the trip that we didn't because it was just like insane. Like we were just had to keep moving, get out of harm's way, like in parts in the icefall or under Noobsay. So <laughs> those are like the wish I could have filmed, but I'm glad I didn't because maybe things would have turned out differently. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's definitely a very heavy question and something worth thinking about every time, like all the time, every day, you know, almost before taking out the camera. And I think it goes back to that, like every morning having a conversation with each other 
you know, I didn't know Jim and Hillary before this trip, but it was like day two and we all seemed like the best of friends. And I think that's really necessary to be able to be open and talk in the morning, be like, Hey, you know, like I'm not feeling that strong today or something happened back at home where my, my mind is somewhere else. And just knowing that about each other can help the decisions we make in the mountains. Um, kind of a funny example, well, not a funny example, but I think an example that can relate to this a lot is Dutch and I carried a small drone up to the sum to the summit. <laughs> and, you know, it's a lot of extra weight that we took up there and we get up there and we kind of like were racing this weather that was coming in and Dutch and I look at, you know, Jim and Hill and we're like, hey, we have to fly this. Like we brought it up here. Like, I don't think anyone's ever flown a drone up here. They kind of looked at us and like, we all decided in that moment that it was not safe to take another half hour to fly this. to like be able to get down and like, it could potentially have like made us not make it down at that point on um, that extra time. So I was like, I don't know. I just, when you asked that question, I thought immediately of that moment of like, yeah, you know, we have the toy up here that can like capture this perfectly and like, but it just was not safe um, to do. I'm kind of curious, like, what is that dialogue like when you're, when you're up there? I mean, I, I think that transition scene when you guys are just about to make the summit, you're on the summit and they start transitioning into skis. It's a fairly, you know, it's not super time consuming in the movie. And you, and obviously one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you guys, I'm like, who the hell filmed this? Like, cause you don't see you guys, right? At least I'm not aware of that. I'm seeing you if, if you are in the film. Um, so, you know, I'm curious, like, what is that dialogue at, like at the top when you are looking at weather, you know, weather can move in fast up there and it's high. Yeah. What's that conversation like? Uh, I, I think, you know, Jim and Hillary were definitely the trip leaders. And, and when it came to production, they wanted to get the best images they could, but they're also like, we're not going to like die because of a shot. So I think, you know, and, and the other thing is when we summited, Jim and Hillary's whole mindset just like shifted. They're like, okay, we're like ski. We've like got to the, the summit, but this is like just the beginning of what we really set out to do. And so I think they were like, you guys capture what you can. We have to focus. And we knew like wind was coming. And if we were up there any longer, we weren't going to be able to, to, who knew, but we, we, it was like, we had to go. And so there wasn't really like, uh, Hey, can you guys go and get like this type of shot where it was just like survival filming, get what you can. And like, let's get the hell out of here. Did you even bring skis up yourselves? I mean, I know you guys are accomplished skiers, but this is a different situation. So we had to go through the ice fall a couple times. And after going through the ice fall, the first time <laughs> we were like, Nope, we're not bringing skis. Um, and, and we chose to just down climb okay. the route, which was, um, honestly probably the safest decision we made. Cause I, I think the chances of just like getting tired and, you know, catching an edge or like riding out on your tails and just who knows what could have happened. And it wasn't for us to be skiing. Like we were, we were focused on capturing. So it, it didn't really like change how we would have captured. And from a timing standpoint, I mean, 
were you able to, you know, move? I mean, obviously you're down and you're fine, but how long did that process take to get off the summit and back through the ice fall? Oh man, I, what we summited it was a long camp, day, Nick. Yes, yep. And I think we got back to camp at like eleven, ten thirty at night or something. Mm, um, okay. So Jim and, and we also had to go to camp three and take down all of our gear. So we had tents and sleeping bags that we had to like shove into our packs as a strap somehow. <laughs> we focused on filming the couloir, and when we were out of the couloir at the bottom, Jim and Hillary skied the Lotse face uh, and we we just weren't able to keep up with them at that point because it's just this scary massive icy thing and they kind of cruised and then uh, there's two Sherpa uh, Ela and Tashi were with us and we just down climbed got to camp three had like some water and tried to eat food and then uh, yeah took I guess in total it's probably like an eight or nine hour ordeal to get down to camp two it was like a 24-hour day in total, I think. When you're capturing shots up high, did you guys descend into the couloir and then you know it opens up into the face? Like, Is that actually how you captured that footage? Yep. We did get some shots from the Lotse face, which was actually... Um, we, were at, uh, we had gone up to Camp 3 to acclimate and then went back down. And that was the first time they, so from camp three, they skied the Lotse face and we captured some skiing of the actual uh, Lotse face. And in the film, you know, a little bit of movie magic, we put those shots in as if it was like the the day, but on the actual summit day, we weren't able to keep up and film the whole route. From having, I'm just kind of curious, like what was that skiing like? If you were coming back home and having some beers with some friends and, you know, they're asking you like, okay, yeah, we've skied off the grand, you know, yeah. How's it compared to that? Right. So take away the, there's obviously the altitude piece, which you can't really take away, but yeah. What were conditions like in the couloir and then out on the face? (laughs) Um, I would say like a pretty subpar day in the Tetons. There's like, you know, it was just so extreme the way, how quickly conditions would change, but there was like a giant slab up top. Was it Nick, was that like right after the summit, the like big wind Mm -hmm. slab. And then it was like pretty punchy. So I think they were like kind of punching through a crust and then like maybe they get up some pow like on the left side and then they go into sheer ice on the right. And I, I don't know, I'd say it's like pretty standard ski mountaineering conditions of like, you're never <laughs> always getting in it in pow. Yeah. Uh, survival skiing, I would say is like the best way to put it. Yeah. I think it's kind of just like every condition you could ask for. Yeah. It just every condition. And, but I think the biggest thing difference of like skiing the grand is it just keeps going. It was just like, seemed like it was never like you were never going to get to like the flats um or the glacier i guess just like walking down i was like holy cow this thing is massive at least from my perspective and watching the film was a very unique situation small team a tight team very capable from you know everyone involved how does this set you up to move forward and to be like stoked on challenging yourselves both in the environment and with the filming challenge i guess that's really my question like what could be next (laughs) i mean let's say definitely taught me that i don't want to go film on an 8,000 meter peak again. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I think I'm like so grateful for that experience and I'm glad that it turned out the way it did. But um, I think like looking forward, I think there's so many other mountain ranges and, and lines uh, at maybe a little bit lower elevation that are equally as challenging and dramatic and beautiful um, that might just like be a, a tiny bit safer. <laughs> I I guess like I yeah I'm not super hungry. Nick, you should talk. Nick went for another trip in Everest six months later. Yep. Yeah. So after this trip, you know, we were obviously fired up and just like the special experience it was to be there with this really small crew, no one else to experience it. Um, like not many people have. And we got home and you know it was still like. like amazed at how well this trip went i got asked to go on a trip to climb everest on the north side in tibet and i was like yes like this is my like i think i can do this i enjoy the suffer and also the opportunity to like capture images in these places that you know you dream about seeing in nat geo growing up and so yeah long story short went on that trip and it didn't end that well i ended up in the hospital in the icu with three blood clots for like two weeks Mm. in well they got me back to uh katmandu yeah so then it was kind of this real you know eye-opening experience of like really need to like check um kind of you know my my goals and how much you do put on the line to be in these areas and see the beauty and be with these amazing people and locals but yeah it's a you know i'm not sure exactly where i'm going with this but it's not made for everyone and i think the going back to lote and you can what we did with the team we had and the camera gear we had is like tried to craft a story that like was like nothing else before and for us to be able to do that is just more it gives me a lot more ambition and motivation to go capture other stuff around the world but it doesn't have to be an 8000 meter peak um how old are you guys dutch how old are you uh i'm 33 okay and nick and i'm 32 okay so you guys are like i like i have a 17 year old boy and so you know we always joke that the frontal lobe doesn't get oh i joke now i'm like it probably matures and is fully formed at like late 20s you know but so you know we all sort of people that are have a proclivity to kind of go out and want to adventure right you have to survive your 20s and then you get into your 30s and you're like okay whoa okay what was that all about and thinking about the bigger picture yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear you guys process that. Do you think you would have a different perspective if you had done this, say, at 26? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. I feel like when I was a little bit younger, I was so hungry and excited and kind of threw uh, personal safety out the window. I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll be fine. And just with more experience and time, you're like, eh, that was actually pretty sketchy. Maybe we could think about that differently next time. Nick, any, any thoughts on that? You know, if I did the, the Lotse trip at 26, I kind of would have hoped I said no, but I probably wouldn't have. And I don't know if I would have made it to the summit because I think I would have been too hungry and not have been able to relax and kind of sit back 
in some way. So yeah, I think it was like a perfect time to do it, but yeah, it was just different. You know, I think me being more hungry at 26, I probably would have burnt myself out. Okay. Um, so just curious in closing here, like what are you most proud of, um, when you think of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've watched, or maybe not, but I'm assuming you've watched the film a few times now. Yeah. What are you most proud of when it comes to like, you know, both the production value and just sort of the end product? Ah, oh, man, that's a tough one. I think it was like a good, like overcoming of self-doubt because we, at least for me, I think when we got home, they're like, well, how's the footage look? Like, do you think you could make a film out of this? And I was just like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what we have like maybe we have a five minute short and then you know through the process of editing i think our first string out was like 45 minutes or something and we're like oh okay like we just like the whole process was like a really i don't know like a overcoming the self-doubt of like oh my my shots weren't good enough because i know that was out of focus and like whatever just because of such extreme conditions and i think coming home with um a, a film that ultimately came into 23 minutes like a, i think just like as a whole working with nick like really proud of how we worked together to come home with what we did and like uh, i don't know <laughs> where i'm going but <laughs> i think to add to that is like to be um just very open we were the main objective is of us going over there was um to mainly shoot photos and they knew that we had a video background so they were like yeah we'll shoot some video also because if they didn't ski this film i don't think anything would have like the film wouldn't have been made i don't believe um yeah in, in dutch correct me if i'm wrong but so it was kind of always this thing of like you know go over there shoot some photos get as far as you can but you know we're not making a film and then the trip went really well and they succeeded to ski down. So like, we're like, holy cow, we hope we shot enough, like to, to put something together. This is one of the, I, yeah, like the first times where like most of this, the footage we shot, like the percentage of stuff we used was very high compared to like most other projects where, you know, sometimes 50 to 80% of what you actually shoot just hits the cutting room floor. So to be able to craft the story that we wanted to and have it work out in a, a true sense was like rewarding for me. Yeah, we, we had no idea what we had, I guess. Like we weren't, the primary focus was in the film. And I think for me, it was hard to believe that we like had just actually did this and like captured it you think of Everest and Lhotse and all these places as like a Nat Geo film. And I think it was like, I was like, oh, well, we didn't come close to that. Like, we just were two guys with cameras. Like, we did our best, but I don't. And then I think like, as we got deeper in the edit, we're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just really proud of how Nick and I, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you, yeah, it was you know cool what I'm trying to say, Nick? Out. Definitely. And like every, you know, Dutch and I would kind of sit down at the end of each day and but every other trip we've done has you can for me like have energy each day like you can shoot like three scenes and on the Lotse experience like you know we would sit down at night and be like okay tomorrow like you know let's shoot the ice fall as best as we can and like but that's all we got for the day you know an hour of hard filming so it was different where 
when we got back, I don't think we were like, oh, well, I hope, I hope it's there. And, you know, it was more about surviving at times too, more so than any other trip. Well, I think it's really, for me, like I love seeing sort of a light and fast approach to filmmaking, you know? Um, and that's one thing that for me was really enlightening was, you know, the Everest, I don't want to diminish like getting up Everest. I've obviously not been up Everest, right? I know it's a physical feat, a mental task and dangerous, but at the same time, we've been saturated with images of Everest, you know, for decades and especially sort of the commercialization of Everest and, you know, that classic iconic photo of a line of what looks to be like two or 300 people, you know, stuck in line going up the face and then people stop stuck on the Hillary step. I think you guys kind of captured a cool, pure essence of, you know, alpinism and mountaineering that still exist. It's just that you have to seek it out and find it. And I think you guys did an awesome job of, of capturing that. I don't. So I, I really enjoyed it for, for that aspect of sort of, yeah, just being kind of resetting and being like, hey, these are cool places and they can be special. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thanks for your work. Really appreciate it. Psyched to talk to you guys. Like I said, I, I am always really interested in sort of the process and yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know if this Dutch guy is going to get back to me because we're just like lowly Nordic skiers, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you did. Yeah, um, thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Appreciate it. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this small diversion from talk associated with the skinny skis.